Hi there, and welcome to the Consumed Podcast, where we consume and are consumed by video games and occasionally other forms of popular culture. Uh, my name is Ben Fox, and I am joined by my wife, Katie. Hello. Hey. L- laughing at me across the airwaves, I see. Just was it the team... noise I made? Yeah, it was just the split second where you seem to forget your name. <laughs> I seem to forget the word I, yeah, for some reason. Uh, yeah. So this um, podcast is inexplicably split into three sections named after a three-course meal. We've got Starter, where we talk about our week in quarantine. We've got the main course, where we discuss a particular game. This week, we're looking at the incredibly visceral Doom Eternal. And then for dessert, just another game we're enjoying and we want to recommend. That's the premise, so let's get on with it. Katie, how's your week been? Pretty, pretty average. Pretty, pretty. It reminds me of um, Kirby Enthusiasm. Have you seen that show? No, uh, just a few episodes I've watched with you. Okay, sorry to interrupt. Go on. There's really, again, nothing nothing to interrupt. Uh, it's Great. Yeah, pretty average week, I would say. I'm still just trying to find things to... Oh, to keep me occupied and keep me going. Um, uh, has there been anything outside of games that's killed some time for you? There, there was. I did end up watching the SpaceX shuttle launch and getting like super into it. I feel like that was a that was a high point in a in a very weird week uh depressing week is this elon elon musk yeah yeah this is his like his you know commercial space company that i feel like sort of came on to the scene as like a little bit of a laughing stock but you know (laughs) 10 years later now they're they're sending you know two astronauts up to the international space station in the dragon which was I thought was a cool name. Sick name, yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I ended up watching. Do you think that's to appease China? That <laughs> take. Um, <laughs> I ended up watching the launch on. I mean, it, it got delayed, um, which ended up meaning that I I ended up watching the launch in real time, which was which was super cool. And then I watched them awesome. yesterday morning. I think was when they made it to. Um, the ISS and it was it was so so interesting to see and I I feel like um you know my parents talk about can talk about the moon landing and you know the the real high points of I feel like American space uh escapades and mm-hmm. so there hasn't been maybe a, a whole lot of that in my lifetime um no. so or in our lifetimes, I guess. So seeing that was was really interesting. So what's the is the mission just to go to the International Space Station? What's the end goal here? I think that they'll be there for what did I read? There, those the two guys, is it Bob and Doug, are going to stay at the ISS for three months or something, three or four months, okay. and because there's there's three people there right now, two Russians and an American. 
And I guess like the American was going to maybe come like come back to Earth or something. And they wanted to have, you know, some Americans on the ISS because. So they're sort of like tagging in. I think I think that's that's part of it. Um, And they'll just, you know, do some do tests and see if it's feasible for SpaceX to keep sending, you know, commercial shuttles okay, so to the ISS. Right, so it is. they're just working with the ISS, then they're not, they're not moving on to anywhere else. So. No, not this okay. time. Interesting, though, very cool. So presumably um, Elon Musk's company, is it completely private? Whoop, just dropped my wedding, wedding ring. Um, is it completely privately owned? Yeah, I think that they've got some kind of partnership with NASA, but I, I don't really know, you know, how the intricacy the intricacies of it all work. Um, but yes, that that is. I might actually just watch the you know the money shot of the of the launch. Was yeah. it impressive? Yeah, yeah. I thought the launch was the launch was really cool. It was cool to hear all you know you can hear all the guys in like the command center in the background cheering when they get to different milestones of the launch and then i actually ended up watching i mean i just i just had the stream on in the background um yesterday morning when they did the actual like docking for the to the iss and yeah i was like something out of a movie because you can kind of see the dragon coming in slowly and they have to get it all lined up perfectly and then the, i mean so it cool. took like an you know an hour or two for the docking to take place and they've got to equalize all the pressure and make yeah. sure every little lock around the edge is down and all that so i think that they even have online now they have a little program where you can simulate seeing if you can dock the dragon to the ISS <laughs> and you have to line so, up all the different axes or whatever and everyone says that they failed so just thinking about having to do that in real life and getting pressure. Yeah, yeah with the, the literal world watching and having like one shot is um you know it makes your palms sweat a bit but it's really interesting because I mean it, we are of the generation that are slightly too young to remember the moon landings mm. um and so our, our understanding a lot of our understanding of space exploration is just rooted in film and popular yeah. media isn't it so it's so it's cool it to must see be it surreal yeah and weird also that actually there is a level of authenticity to some of those representations yeah. where like you say it feels like how we've been seeing it for however many years in however many films so that's really cool I liked seeing it before, I think because you're, I think knowing what you're going to trans- transition into, the parts that I really liked was before the dragon docked, they also had shots from inside the ISS and there were, you could see yeah. the astronauts up there and it, <laughs> I'm sure they all have, you know, they're so, so knowledgeable of all the, in- knowledgeable of all the instruments there and how everything works and how everything has to function. Yeah. But at the same time, a lot of them were like, floating back and forth tidying like at one point one of the astronauts is just like duck duct taping a bunch of i don't know space somethings together and like shoving them up into a panel um, <laughs> just above him so just seeing the the iss astronauts doing some like last minute cleaning before Mundane guests stuff, came yeah. over yeah it was, it was uh, an interesting thing to watch so cool yeah well i'll definitely check out that feed at some point and you're right, it does transition very neatly in a way that we didn't really even plan into the show I've been uh, watching this week. Because um, I think it came out this week. Mm. 
Yeah, premiere May 29th. Um, it's just been dumped on Netflix, the whole thing, so I, I sort of binged it. Not, I don't really like that phrase, though. But um, it's called Space Force, um, and it's Steve Carell's newest comedic venture. I think for a while he'd said that he wasn't doing Yeah, I thought he quit for already. a while. Um, so I was, I'd not heard anything about it and suddenly it appeared. And, you know, as I said last week, I've sort of moved through all of my key, uh, shows on Netflix once again, and I've run out of stuff. So I, you know, jumped on it. And the thing is, it comes from Steve Carell and Greg Daniels, who worked on, you know, the US office, Parks and Rec, two of my favorite shows. And I love Steve Carell, um, in the office, obviously. Well, I mean, I'm picturing the office in space, so. Yeah. Example that I, th- I think, in some ways, that is is the advertising is cultivated to sort of uh, make you think precisely that. And from the outside, it sort of um, does. I mean, Steve Carell plays a very different character to Michael Scott. He's like um, a, a sort of generic army type who's moved up to become a general. And the premise of the show is that they are creating a new branch of. Um, the armed forces mm. this space force so um yeah so obviously the, alongside the navy the army the air force um, and some other minor uh organizations which get taken the piss out of regularly in the show steve carell expecting to be because i think he's from the air force expecting to to become a sort of leader of the air force ends up being put on this new assignment of, of space force and essentially the, the the narratives revolve around him. The character's called Mark Naird and his scientific advisor, um, Adrian Mallory. And this guy's played by John Malkovich. Have you heard of Malkovich? Have you heard of him before, Katie? I think you'd recognise his face uh, well, if you I mean, saw it. It is me yeah. talking about Maybe, yeah. but I think he's got a distinct face. To be honest, he's a very well-known... Well, I think he's a... Yeah, I'd say broadly speaking, he's a very well-known actor perhaps his most famous film is being John Malkovich, which, you know, incorporates him heavily. Uh, I know him um, in a slightly less impressive way from the Johnny English films, which are the Rowan Atkinson-led comedic spy adventures. Yeah, which I was talking to you about this the other day. Yeah, it is Mr. Bean. Just a, a funny aside, by the way, for those listening, which has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. For those of you aware of Johnny English, when we when we were living in China... Um, I was speaking to a Chinese co-teacher of mine and she was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go and see that new film, um, Miss, uh, Secret Agent Mr. Bean. <laughs> and I was like, uh, what are you talking about? You, you know, this one she showed me, it's, it's Johnny English. I was like, that's not Mr. Bean, that's Rowan Atkinson who plays Mr. Bean, but it's he's a different character, he's called Johnny English, the, the film's called Johnny <laughs> English. And apparently the translation into Chinese, <laughs> because Mr. Bean is relatively uh, successful over yeah, there, very it's just... Yeah, it's just secret agent Mr. Bean, which I thought was humorous. Anyway, John Malkovich plays the um, antagonist in that, and he's you know decent, but it, it's it's not perhaps the most profound venue to showcase his talents. But anyway, he plays this scientific advisor, and a lot of the conflicts in the show are to do with Steve Carell's general, who is very military focused, very uh, I suppose pragmatic, desperate to get up on on the moon and be the first nation back up there mm-hmm. he's sort of racing against russia and china who who do play a role not russia he's racing against china um 
but then you've got the flip side of that, which is his, you know, you've got um, Mallory in his ear, the scientific advisor, who's technically not part of the military. He's like a civilian, but he's, he's able to, he's leading the team of scientists and he's advising Ned on, on essentially how possible any of this is from a scientific perspective. So he's a very intelligent, very reasonable character. And Ned is a very uh, gung-ho not quite as intellectually switched on. Um, so that that's sort of the central relationship. And alongside that, you've got um, Steve Carell's wife, played by Lisa Kudrow, friend's fame. Phoebe. Um, Phoebe. She doesn't appear in it all that often, actually, which I thought was disappointing because I think she's brilliant. You've got Ben Schwartz, who I love, who was in Parks and Rec, John Ralphio. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he plays sort of the social media director for mm. for this general, which is quite an entertaining role for him. Um, and the only other person I knew in it was a guy called Jimmy O. Yang, who plays one of the chief scientists. And he, I know him as um, one of the characters in Silicon Valley. Did you ever catch that show, Katie? Mm-mm, no. I, I love that. That's a, a really good um, sitcom based in um, San Francisco about software engineers. Um, anyway, he, he's a plays a prominent role in that and he, he's very very good in this too anyway so what you've got is you've got show creators you've got a good um good premise you've got an incredible cast so you'd sort of think that this is dynamite this is an immediate slam dunk and i have to say it sort of wasn't really um really in any yeah in, 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 i was surprised i would i I would say i sort of pa- possibly enjoyed it you know i watched all of the episodes over a couple of days and i i wouldn't have any at any point say i was that bored or um i wasn't being gently entertained by it but given the caliber of everyone involved you know the office us is one of the funniest and most sort of emotionally impacting sitcoms i've seen similarly with parks mm-hmm. and rec and there's there's not an ounce of that. I would say it probably it's better maybe at dealing with some of the more earnest sides, like the relationship between Mallory and Ned, the idea that um, you know of two colleagues coming from different different places and compromising. There's a few emotional beats that come from that that are effective. Ned and his family um, and his relationship with his daughter again, somewhat well handled. And I would say if you know. All these shows walk the balance between earnestness and comedy, and I would say it definitely succeeds more in its earnestness. But I just didn't find it very funny. I can't really think of any joke or situation that stood in my mind as something funny that happened. And I think part of that is that there's no wild card character, really. There's no... um, Like, when I think of The Office, you know, I think of the powerful relationships between... Pam and Jim and that the emotional heft there but then I think of characters like Michael Scott and Dwight who while there is while there are earnest undertones that they deliver the laughs more or less every single episode right and I I can't think of a of a character that that does that in this show because Steve Carell he plays this general completely straight-laced for the most part it's there's no edge to it there's no real um comedic undertone to it it's just a general occasionally he'll sing a song and it's funny because he's a general singing a song but that's about it and there's just there's not a lot of comedic meat there which i thought was um genuinely quite disappointing given the caliber what i would say is it ends on a bit of a cliffhanger i'm sorry to go on at length about this um ends on a bit of a cliffhanger and i do sort of want to see where it goes so it hooked me in by the end i sort of tentatively hope 
they'll get a second season and that they can address some of the issues people are having because like I say the, the premise is so strong and the stu- and the cast is so strong I'd love to see it developed and maybe sort of transcend what it is now because I mean even The Office its first season is probably its weakest so I hope you know there's hope for it it's not a complete write-off and you know if you've got nothing better to do I think there are worse ways to spend your time but I yeah generally speaking disappointed I guess that they've at least got it going for them that they're they're quite relevant right now. I don't know if that was definitely that was planned that it came out. Yeah, at the it same feels time like it could have been planned. Launch. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, yeah. In- it's interesting to see at least go- based on that and based on like the watching the launch how seems like slow like slowly but surely real life is catching up to some of the ways that space travel is portrayed in, yeah. in in the media and it, if it comes down to it i'm just jealous of those two guys that got to say peace out and like blast off the earth and not have to <laughs> yeah deal with yeah there's no covid uh, in in space is there yeah so no fair play um is there anything else you've got for starter i mean i think that that was a hefty starter already alright we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with our main course okay we're back with our main course this week Um, a game that I must confess I've not finished Um, my brother bought it for me it's a game that I know um, nothing about (laughs) yeah so it's going to be a really informed and thrilling discussion um my brother bought it for me for my birthday in April. It's Doom Eternal. I've heard lots of good things about it and its predecessor, Doom, which came out in 2016, which I spoke about actually on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So I've played all of Doom 2016 and I've played maybe, from what I can tell, about a third to a half of, of Doom Eternal. So for those of you who don't know the Doom series, it's a pretty basic setup. Um, you play the Doom Slayer, super badass guy with a lot of big guns, goes around killing uh, Hellspawn. In a that very come from, aggressive way. <laughs> that come directly from hell to uh, to destroy everything. The first one, Doom, what, when I say the first one, I don't mean the first ever Doom game, but the, the one that came out in 2016, that was set on Mars and the hell beasts were coming through into Mars. This one's set on Earth largely from what I can tell, so there's a slight setting shift. Um, I must confess, I've read up a little bit about it. Doom's not a series with which otherwise I'm particularly familiar. What about you, Katie? No, I I, I think... I mean, I've seen the logo like scrolling through various um, game, like gaming yeah. platforms and forums, um, but I really don't know that much about it outside of the very small amount of gameplay I've watched from you on Doom Eternal. Sure. The only other thing I I know is that it released the same time as Animal Crossing: New Horizons. Yeah, or, like so the that, same that was... day. That was very funny when Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing came out very very close to each other and there were lots of mashup advertising with the, the Yeah, muscular... of like Isabel wearing the Doom helmet and like yeah. holding a, you know, bazooka or something. Yeah. Or I just saw lots of the Doom Slayer himself like covered in blood but then with Isabel sitting on his shoulder or whatever. <laughs> um so there are lots of lots of funny mashups. A lot of people have said though that it is a very 
it's actually a very good double bill because they yeah. they're both very satisfying in their own but very unique ways. Um, but perhaps we'll come back to that in a little bit. But Doom as a franchise itself, from what I can tell, you know, the first one came out in '93, so I was two, um, and I think they were quite seminal in in how much they moved the first-person shooter genre forward. You know, proper 3D, very quick, fluid movements, big, more open levels. Um, I think there are other games that are sort of approaching these things, but Doom as a franchise is known for being uh, sort of a genre definer. Mm-hmm. And even in these games, from what I can tell, you know, the premise is the same. Hell spawner coming up, go and sort them out. You know, there's not a lot to talk about from a, from a narrative perspective. And there were a few of them, um, including Doom 2, Hell on Earth. There was one on, is it Nintendo 64? I presume it was. It was called Doom 64 from 97. I think it was Nintendo 64. Um, And they were all relatively well regarded. I think people knew what to expect. Just a very visceral shooter, and and that was what they got. And then there was Doom 3, which I do remember. I was old enough um, to remember when that one came out. And I used to see it in my copies of official Xbox magazine or whatever. And it looked different in that instead of just being about fast-paced shooting, there was a, there was more of a horror bent to it. It was a lot darker. You were walking around these stations with a flashlight and, you you know, plenty of jump scares of these beasts sort of jumping out and stalking you. So it sort of took a direction. Seems there like were, a very you know, different were... mentality than, than what I've seen yeah. now from the more recent ones. Yeah, so instead of being just a full-on action obsessed hack and slash um, gorathon yeah um it was a little bit more considered it was a lot more scary it essentially became a survival horror game um which i think a few people liked but most people responded to it quite poorly i think from a just a you know a a, gen- a generic survival horror perspective i think it's a perfectly functional functional game from what i can what i've heard um but just as a doom game i think people were let down so then that was in 2004 and then what happened was it was sort of rebooted with this game in 2016 which made a point of stripping everything back right back to its roots you know all this is going to be is fast fun gory visceral um you're gonna get loads of big guns there's going to be next to no real story and you're going to shoot seven shades of the proverbial out of demon scum yes um, and as i as i said the other day when i when i spoke about doom uh, it's it's an amazingly fun time there are few games that give you as much of a immediate satisfying thrill as that doom 2016 uh, game i just i sat down and played it through um in a few days it, it really blew me away um so obviously Although, to be fair, as I said then, it took a little while to get into it because I'd, I'd owned it for a while and played maybe the first couple of hours. And actually, it didn't. Right at the beginning, you have like a pistol. You're just walking through a few different areas. It's actually slightly less bombastic than it becomes. But once it, you know, clicks into gear, it just explodes and then never lets go for the whole thing. So if we like, move into Doom Eternal, which is the sequel that came out right now. So Katie has seen the very beginning of this game. As you saw then, Katie, there's not even really a second's well, pause. There was like, well, there was like, even at the very start, there was what twenty seconds of yeah. cutscene introduction yeah. dropped in, like, and then yeah, 
instantly. It's just, you know, carnage. Mayhem. <laughs> yeah. There's no, you know, watery pistol nonsense there. There's like, like you say, about 20 seconds looking at the Doomslayer and he's looking at Earth and you can see that, um, you know, the, the demons have invaded Earth now. Um, and he, I like him because he's sort of like Master Chief from the Halo series. And although I suppose he does, Master Chief does speak and the Doomslayer yeah. doesn't. But there, he emotes, there's a lot of power just coming from a very solitary, silent figure. And he's just looking at Earth. And then this portal opens up. You go through immediately. You've got a shotgun. There's immediately also you're... aggressive rock music yeah. playing in the background. Immediate, heavy, um, gritty overdrive rock music um, that's just motivating you to to rip and tear as many demons as possible. And 2016 was a very very quick game, but I noticed immediately in Doom Eternal you are pelting it around. It's almost like you're ice skating. How quickly he moves. Yeah. Um, but for all intents and purposes, from what I've played so far, most of the core mechanics are in place. So, you know, very powerful guns. There's no need to reload any of them at any point. That's just, there's not <laughs> a button to reload. You just pick up ammo. It's immediately no in the gun. No there's time. no point. No, yeah, no time. Um, no point wasting time there. And you shoot things essentially until they glow, sort of an orangey between orange and blue, and that means you can glory kill them. Yeah, they they sort of reminded me of what's the fighting game that we play where you are different superheroes uh, injustice yeah some of those two and yeah it's it's sort of in that vein of like injustice or like a mortal combat where you're yeah. stripping someone's spine out of their body yeah. and then like just just uh unnecessary <laughs> unnecessarily graphic um little mini animations of yeah. just totally dis- dismantling like- these little demons you're right that's a good comparison they're like mini finishers aren't they mm-hmm. um so as soon as this happens you you click the right stick and, and it and it does one of these animations they're very quick so sometimes because he's got now he's got a sword which he didn't have in 2016 he's got like an elongated knife strapped to his left hand so he may just go in when you click the stick and just sort of put the knife through their face. He may like rip their face apart or rip <laughs> something out of their face. But it's very quick, very gory. And what happens is is um, that they'll sort of release lots of health when you do these glory kills on them. So unlike other shooters where you're either ducking with cover, picking up health packs, or even just getting hurt and then running away and waiting for your health to regenerate. Not important. This... No, well, this system is, look, there's nowhere to hide because everything's fast. There's no point trying to hide from these guys. You essentially run into the battlefield and you get right down into the middle of it. And with this mechanic, even if you're swarmed by people, if you've shot shotgun someone and they start flashing, you you know rip their face off and then you'll get health, move on to the next one, even though you're getting shot all the time and your health is going down all the time. If you move between enemies enough from glory kill to glory kill, your health is constantly being topped up. Or use that like chainsaw. Yeah, so that's the, that's the other element to it. So whilst the glory kills give you health, if you're then low on ammo, which you do sometimes find yourself being, Square on PlayStation 4 <laughs> will just effortlessly chop something in half with your chainsaw, depending on how much fuel. You can't chop like all of the enemies up because you can't just take down a big boss with the chainsaw in one. You have to have a certain amount of fuel. But a sort of medium to normal enemy, you can quite easily chainsaw and it will just 
ammo will just pour out of it like blood. Just so much ammo. Just so it's like a final sort of hail mary once you're down and out. Um, a final sort of impulse just to get everything back, and it's so satisfying. So these various mechanics essentially mean that you can run around, get shot consistently, but as long as you're shooting and you're replenishing your health and your ammo, you can just keep going and keep going and keep going. So you saw these beginning levels, Katie. From a gameplay perspective, what were your thoughts? I mean, I'll say again that I am clearly not the target audience for this game either. (laughs) Um, But I can... And I and I don't think that I would ever feel the need to like play through the game to see what happens in the non-existent yeah. storyline. Yeah. But I can see how there would be some satisfaction if you've got if you've got pent up aggression that you that you can't get out by planting flowers and animal yeah. crossing that you <laughs> maybe could get out by mowing down zombies. It's what's good about it is that it's not mindless like there are some games with gratuitous violence that are very mindless like i feel i think about and i might get some pushback on this but some of the um i think they called musos games like the dynasty warriors games where you're just pressing square mm. and you're you're just chopping at hundreds of people at a time and each one on an individual level isn't really giving you any hassle and you don't really need to think about it too much whereas this game you die very quickly if you're not getting in there and glory killing or or um, you know chainsawing things up. You have to be moving constantly. It's a very it's not a game I can actually play for more than an hour because it involves so much quick real time yeah. reaction. Because you are still having um, to take down each enemy like one at a time, sort of, aren't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. There are very there's no real way yet that you can just decimate loads of people at once. So. There is a very active component to it, and I think that makes it much more fun because it feels like once you overcome these things, even though you are incredibly powerful, you can feel this. You can feel yourself getting better, and you can feel the skill that you you put into it. It's a hard game. Like for, again, for someone, I also don't really play first-person shooters, um, so for me, it's not an easy game. I found Doom Eternal so far to be quite a lot more challenging than um, 2016. There was a, a not long after Katie stopped watching, so this is still quite early on in the game, there was a room with lots of different enemies. It took me about 10 time, tries <laughs> to do it because I just kept getting overwhelmed. But when you do manage it, you know, there aren't many feelings like it. And that essentially is the gameplay. And Katie was already mentioning the story with a question mark because, you know, there, there is very little of it. What What did bounce out at me immediately regarding the gameplay and the story was it stripped back even more than 2016 because in 2016's game you know there were characters speaking directly to the doom slayer um while he wasn't speaking back there was a basic narrative that you were following you were hunting someone down you were interacting with the computer ai of the of the station there was something that you were as a player interacting with from an, from a narrative perspective and you know some elements of it even felt grounded um, in that you would pick up guns off the floor. They're, they're, all the things you were doing were realistic to some extent within that world. Whereas Doom Eternal strips a lot of it back and has gamified everything even more. So guns you pick up are just floating 
green holograms that you just run over and collect them, sort of like a game as from the 90s. Um, the story, while it is, you know, similarly structured with the demons taking over the world, isn't really happening to the Doomslayer. He's a force in it, for, but there are lots of things going on um, over sort of the the, lo- the the radio station that's being that's being um, broadcast everywhere. You can hear the world reacting to the Doomslayer and the fact that he's taking everything down. And there are elements of the story where the Doomslayer sort of going back to his home uh, planet. I think we're going to learn more about what the Doomslayer actually is. But in many respects, it feels almost like it's even less interested in trying to tell a story. It's just interested in, here are the guns, here are the enemies, these are the new things you can do, just have fun, off you go. Sort of doubling down on all of the things that people loved about Doom 2016. There's one mechanical change, actually, that I forgot to mention, which you haven't seen yet, Katie. I got it shortly after because I was desperate to get to it because I knew that it was coming. There's a shotgun you can get called the Super Shotgun. Uh, you start with a shotgun, but you get another one called the Super Shotgun. It's much more powerful, but it's only got two rounds in it. So you shoot it twice and you have to um, put put two more in. But what And it was in the original game. But what they've done now is they've attached like a chain to the bottom of it. Um, so that, uh, say there's an enemy above you, instead of trying to jump up there or find a way around, you just shoot this chain and the Doomslayer just zooms, zip lines <laughs> up towards him. And on the way, as he's being pulled towards him by this chain, you can just shoot it. So you're just like chaining people, shooting them on the way, falling down, chaining someone. So it actually weirdly offers the game another level of verticality. So you're always looking up and around as well as just what's in front of you which I think is really, really, really fun. And obviously, as a massive Spider-Man fan, there's an element of that which I find inherently satisfying. And there's also some rudimentary platforming. You can climb stuff now, which you couldn't before. I think, I can't remember you being able to boost dodge, which you can now. So there are incremental um, upgrades to the mechanics. (laughs) Well, the, yeah, go on. just just the, the you know the way that the visuals are kind of put together. I, I especially notice in the climbing. It's like I mean I feel like when you're playing a video game and you like hook up onto a ledge. Maybe it's just because you've been playing Tomb Raider, and I'm thinking of that. And like yeah. dainty little Laura Croft like grabs yeah. the edge and flips up top. The Doom Slayer is like yeah. fingers straight into the cliff. Like you it's... can see his bulging biceps, and he's just yeah, you know. Fingers straight in, digging his way up the wall. So even that, even the simple climbing is so aggressive. Yeah. It's so aggressive. I, the word I kept using was chunky. Everything about the game is chunky. His hands, you can see like him tense, being so tense and like, as you say, grabbing into the wall as if he can just literally put his hand through the rock. Um, and it sort of reminds me of just like he's almost weirdly like one of the hell beasts like just crawling like a crab across the crevices (laughs) um just full of pent-up aggression and but everything about the visual style is like that and i love that there's a there's a real chunky meatiness to it but there's also a lovely level of detail so like in the guns they're massive and like in 2016, you put on the modifications in a really satisfying click and they like crunch in. But even though they're huge and everything's really unnecessarily... Uh, Testosterone-fueled. Yeah, and bulky. You can see the little 
sliders going underneath. You can see all the mechanics of the gun functioning and the bullets being passed through and the little sights that flip up. So even though it is chunky and meaty, there's a level of intricacy to it which makes it all so satisfying to play. Um, it's it's one of those things as well that's quite difficult to do justice to with description. So I, I would say if if this is something that you think, oh, well, that sounds like my kind of thing, check out some videos and for goodness sake, go and buy it because from what I can tell, there aren't many games doing this kind of thing as well as this game is doing them. So yeah, from a narrative perspective, there isn't much so far to talk about really but they but are i, I that... mean maybe just outside of this game there isn't there some offshoot like comic books or like tv series or something kind of dealing with this character yeah i mean again i don't know that much about it i know there was a film and i think it starred dwayne the rock johnson <laughs> i don't think it was well regarded and i think you were saying that there's a tv show coming out yeah right? that's what i saw um, or that's in development i don't have much interest in it to be honest because i'm not interested in the world yeah. of the characters of doom i'm sort of mildly interested in the doom slayer and i think it feels like doom eternal is going in a direction where it explains more thoroughly what the doom slayers actually are and they've clearly they've clearly been many generations of doom slayers because you know one of them appears as a hologram looks a bit like a templar um so i think we may get a bit more um context as to what the doom slayer actually is but beyond that I'm just interested in the demon slaying. And I think really all the people buying this are yeah. only really interested in the demon slaying. And from that perspective, it's like a finely tuned machine that runs flawlessly. It's a, in its own way, it's a beautiful game, I think, because you know, the textures are amazing. The details in the animation to convey that level of aggression and that level of meat yeah. and chunk... I think is and but also that level of mechanical completeness in the weaponry I think is really impressive and then with all of those details to run as smoothly as it did because if you know if a game this fast was running at 30 frames a second it would be maybe half as enjoyable but it's it's so fluid even on my base PS4 so fluid so quick I've I've got no real qualms with the visual or performance with the visuals or the performance quality at all. Is there anything you want would like to add for, um, about the game from a, a visual perspective, Katie? Um, I think it. I think one of the things, first things that I said to you, even though you, I mean, yeah, you jump in pretty much knowing I knew knew nothing about where these zombie demon guys were coming from. Um, but there was something interesting about the. You know, I don't think that the the setting and the displays of things are meant to be the most important point. But I did kind of like the mix of machinery and occulty, like occulty things that they use to summon these things. I think that's a, an interesting mesh of like the sci-fi yeah. and the supernatural. So it kind of reminded me of a, at least what I saw a lot of the backgrounds that you had in them. Um, from when I used to play Diablo two on a friend's computer mm. Because yeah. I think there's a similar level of, um, I don't know, just the you know pretty pretty dark, gritty, necromancery vibe of kind of all the stuff in the background. If that makes sense. Yeah. Again, I don't think it's supposed to be the focal point, but no. But you're right, and it's a strong artistic direction. There's a there's a very nice juxtaposition, especially in this one, 
between the demonic castles that have risen from the ground and just the real world. Yeah, because you were in like a mall for a while, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. So, whereas in the, in the first one you're dealing with Mars, and that's a bit more, while there are sort of recognisable elements, it's a bit more abstract from, from what you'd expect. Whereas this has real life Earth. I mean, I don't think it's based on a real place, but there are elements like the shopping mall that you recognise in a general way, contrasted <laughs> nicely against the uh, various health spawn that are ripping it <laughs> apart and the huge structures um, that dominate the landscape now. So I think, yeah, it's really interesting to look at. Yeah, so to be honest, I don't have much more to add because I think it's a very simple game in a great way. Um and as I said earlier, if, if it sounds like something that your kind of game, I think it's definitely worth worth picking up for that. For what it does, I can't fault it. And it feels, I sort of don't want to get into a pattern. It feels a little bit like we are. All the games we've spoken about in our main course, they have all been brilliant, haven't they? they haven't, mm. I've not really had to exercise Those much. Stinkers. No, I haven't had to exercise much of a critical brain cell. But <laughs> this... Yeah, I can't really fault it. I can't really... Th- I suppose for those of you who... Maybe you're a huge fan of Doom 2016 and you really wanted elements of the story to continue directly. Seems you liked the sli- Yeah, you, sli- you liked the slightly more engaged um, characters around the Doom Slayer. It does seem to have cut that back. If you're someone who really likes feeling that the world is tangibly there and around you and and it has its own logical rules that function it's like the opposite uh, of of final fantasy 10 that we talked about last week in that way yeah like i don't think they're they're gonna try and do anything that makes you feel like you're like you're in this world no no but i would say doom 2016 did do more of that in that there was a lot of transition animation it sounds like a simple thing but to see the guns floating there as opposed to actually being on the ground and seeing the Doomslayer pick them up and load them. That's a, it's a different vibe. It's This is only really interested, from what I can tell, in being a fun game. Mm. Yeah, not a, not necessarily a real place. Yeah, there are some nice um, areas from a visual perspective and it has a story in there, but its priority is shooting stuff <laughs> and it does that immaculately. <laughs> Anything to add finally, Katie? Yeah, I mean it's it's one that I that I might have to when when I get back home to just tr- try it. it it's, yeah. it's yeah, I can't see myself sitting down and playing through it in its entirety. I'll admit that. I I think it could be if you're like oh, I just I want to I want to escape and I want to yeah release some yeah. release some aggression. And for that purpose, which I've used it for, yeah, works very very well. <laughs> cool. Well, we'll leave that main course there and we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with our dessert. And we are back with our third and final section of the show. It is dessert. And it's during this point where we just talk about another game we've been playing, something we recommend. Um, Katie, have you been playing anything this week you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a bit lighter and a very different vibe than our main course, but... I think that's you know that's good. We have different yep. uh, different options. Something for everybody. Absolutely. Yep. Um, I have re picked up another Switch game, and now that I have it in my possession, and 
it's shocking that I took a break from Animal Crossing New Horizons. <laughs> um, but I busted out another game. I think that Ben got this for me when he uh, when he first got me the Switch. So um, such a legend. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, it's <laughs> Super Mario Odyssey for the Switch, um, which I I don't think I ever actually finished um, when I first started <laughs> it. Um, Isn't it massive? That's why. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a lot of uh, I, it's well, this kind of goes into it's a pretty close and clear continuation i think of super mario 64 of there being the ability to go through multiple different environments and look for yeah lots of hidden things so it does provide you with lots of content content so it did you did, go ahead go on i was just gonna say did you play the galaxy games i did not was that I haven't either. I've I've heard really good things about them. I've always wanted to play them, but last one I played was Mario sixty four. Yeah. I played a bit of Sunshine actually, but yeah, I think Sunshine's regarded as the successor to sixty four, and then the Galaxy games on Wii, mm, yeah, um, where they're a little bit more abstracted and that you're sort of just wandering around little globes. Um, yeah, but that the, those are the last three D big three D Mario games. I think Galaxy two maybe. Yeah, I, I and I didn't do I didn't do those on Wii, but to me this feels like a the same a similar thing of a good con- continuation of just yeah. being Mario, having some interesting little worlds to explore. This time you're looking for um, moons instead of stars, like you did in some of the other games. Um, but there's some cute environments. There's some uh, interesting character designs. And yeah, it provides a ton of content of looking, just kind of looking for secrets, which is nice. Again, not terribly heavy on plot, not really <laughs> anything out of the ordinary of what we've seen um, from Bowser just being a big meanie. Um, there is- he does have a sharp suit, though. <laughs> yeah, and there is the new mechanic of... Uh, your hat and being able to do some some fun things with that by this because of this little ghosty who's um, possessed Mario's hat and you can use that in different ways. Um, I think it's it's very satisfying. It's very it's simple enough that you can just kind of get hooked in and play through a few levels and then go back to old ones and look for different things that you've missed. So I like that when I need a break from my town. It does seem like, from what I've seen, because I saw you play it a little bit um, in China, um, it does seem like a good podcast game, as I would call it. In that it, um, it's even it's much more sprawling than Mario sixty four. And that mm. in in Mario sixty four, there are about like ten stars you could get in each yeah. relatively small area, and it directly guided you to them, or at least said, "This is your mission. You're looking for this one." Mm. Whereas this game, there are loads oh, of yeah, power moons so aren't they they are all level. over the shop so it looks like the sort and the the areas are massive it looks like the sort of game you could just chill out to and go and find a few moons do a few puzzles mm-hmm. to me like speaking as someone who is trying to just get through all of their games I don't, again maybe a useless points endeavor um to me it now feels like i wouldn't want to play it <laughs> because it, there's just so much to it and it's so sprawling i'm sort of slightly intimidated by it well um 
That's funny because one of the th- one of the other things that I was going to mention with this game, it, it it is big, but I feel like it's accessible enough that, yeah, if you just kind of break a bit down into different areas and you say, okay, I'm going to like beat this section and then maybe I'll go look for like three extra secret moons and then I can go on with yeah. the storyline. Um, but I was going to say, this is, I, I mean, I, I haven't touched a whole whole lot of switch games and one of the big ones that i've missed is even though you own it is breath of the wild yeah which when you're a huge zelda fan it's so it's so tough and i have been telling myself that i i would i want to get into it i did try to start a game in breath of the wild and that game is so huge that i i am genuinely intimidated by that because i am i yeah i'm a huge zelda fan ocarina of time is the first video game i ever played and my favorite top top number one game of all time but i like to go i like to be directed from dungeon to dungeon i like there to be a specific item that i have to get in that dungeon that will help me to beat it and i like to move on to the next one so I'm not sold on this big, expansive world that I've got to go out and explore. I know I've just got to get over it. Every I think you've got to give it more of a chance as well. I do, but it's just it's so big. Because even if you're not... I, yeah, I agree that you're not sold on the concept, but it's allegedly one of the best games of all time. I know, and I, I am going to do it. Yeah. Soon. It feels like this is the perfect yeah. time. Like you've all you've got is time to kill. That's true. Get lost in the world of whatever Hyrule it is. That's true. So I I, I am yeah. gonna have to I think give that one another chance now that I've gotten back yeah. into a Super Mario game. I think Mode. it's t- yeah. I think it's yeah. time. There is speaking of Mario. There's one thing that I don't like about Odyssey from what I've seen about it or of it. Um, I don't particularly like its artistic direction. No, and I no, I I love Mario sixty four. I think it's a really wonderful game, but there's something about the visuals of Mario sixty four, sort of. I mean, Mario Odyssey, which sort of creep me out because <laughs> there's a they sort of go in a number of places yeah. for a very realistic um yeah. appearance so there's this weird weird area called new donk city which is really cool but it's a you know it's a hyper realistic like city the people, people are normally proportioned but then compared to mario they were like elongated crazy aliens yeah um and it's not just that's the example everyone cites but all the areas have very realistic textures and um very um sort of authentic looking areas and i just don't feel that they mesh all that well with the general visual tone of of mario and it sort of makes me feel a bit uneasy yeah i guess i i can see that in some places um because yeah like the mario character i I don't know i i don't know what you could do to make him find that middle ground of being semi-realistic without it getting really creepy yeah yeah i don't think they should change him i think they should have made it cartoonier mm. overall um like because one of the main mechanics isn't it is that you can use the hat to take over things yeah. and so you can control you, if you throw your hat on a goomba 
you control the Goomba and you can do it with all sorts of things, including like a T-Rex at some point like and you can control and... the T-Rex. But it's not it's not a Mario T-Rex, it's an actual fully rendered, realistic looking but, T-Rex. But now with a Mario hat on and a mustache. Yeah. Yeah, which I suppose provides some comedy. Like that isn't that is a humorous contrast in that sense, but I don't know, it just makes me feel I think I'm the only one that feels this maybe it makes me feel a little I, bit uneasy. I, I can for some see reason. how it would be a bit jarring, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess after maybe it's just cuz I've been playing it and it seems like yeah, he he get... fits in, you kind of get used to it. Um Yeah. But yeah, I can see how I mean, I think it I think it works really well in like the the first sort of level is like a deserty area with those little like skull guys. Yeah. I love that design of that whole area. I think that fits in. That well. one was quite good. Yeah. But yeah, New Dawn and, City you know, and there's like a forest one with kind of real looking trees where I can see yeah, it, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't quite match, but Yeah. But you know, it's a very, very well regarded game. It's something I do want to play eventually, but you know, one day maybe. Cool. What about you? All right. Anything uh, anything light that you've been using to take your mind <laughs> off of Doom this week? Yeah. Um one game we've been playing this week in my never-ending quest to finish everything I own. Uh, I was actually a bit depressed about this because I spoke to Harry, my brother. Uh, he owns a load of games as well. And he's sort of been informally trying to finish most of the stuff he owns in quarantine. He's got 16 left to go. 16. He's nearly there. Yeah, well, we can't, can't I, all be sitting I've got pretty 100 at 100. Yeah, and Never. It's, oh, I just don't understand where they where they came from or how he's finished it. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Um, so one of the games I picked up, well, I owned it. So like so many of these I've owned and just never played because that's the thing. I'm part of a service called PlayStation Plus, which you need if you want to play your PlayStation online. You pay about sixty quid a year, maybe. But as a result of being signed up to that, every month you get free mm. games that just auto download into your um into your game library. So I've been accumulating game after game after game, and I'm not planning, by the way, on finishing every single game that I did that I just got for free yeah. I'm not including those in my list but there are games occasionally that I get through there that I would have bought one of them being this game which is Darksiders 2 have you heard of the Darksiders franchise Katie mm, not enough to be uh, knowledgeable about it no sure well um the premise um generally speaking I'm not going to go into any depth for this one but it's um you control in each game, you control one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, so obviously, I th- that's from the Book of Revelation, isn't it? The four horsemen of the apocalypse. Correct. But there are no, there are no Christian <laughs> undertones in this at all. Um, not that that's necessarily a problem, but just just for, just for horsemen fans out there, if you're looking for some sweet Book of Revelation content, it's not going to be in this one. But the the first one, Dark Siders One, you followed War. Um, the horseman, he gets, I think he gets um, accused of a crime he didn't commit. It's all quite convoluted. Um, and essentially you spend the game hacking and slashing with a massive sword um, and working through dungeons. In fact, both Darksiders 1 and 2, what they're compared to most often um, is Zelda. Mm. There are, many people regard them as the Zelda, maybe not of the same quality, but Zelda-like games of the of the other consoles. Very big, often quite a big open world, um, quite simple mechanics. You often 
go to a dungeon, you go in there, you unlock a few rooms, kill a few guys, you'll get a weapon or a or a gadget of some kind that will then unlock further the dungeon mm-hmm. and then eventually you'll fight a boss using that thing that you acquired mm-hmm. um, and then you'll move on to the next thing. And so you know, the structure is very similar to a Zelda game. I really enjoyed the first Dark Side. I just think it's a bit of a hidden gem um, developed by THQ Nordic or maybe it's THQ. I don't think they're around anymore. Um, I think this might have been their swan song. <laughs> this franchise actually could be wrong about that. There's definitely Darksiders 3, but maybe I'll speak about that at a different time. So Darksiders 1 follows war, Darksiders 2 follows death. Um, so instead of having a massive sword as as death, you've got two scythes. They, you're sort of a lot quicker than, than war. Yeah, but, but also this game tries to incorporate a few more a few different mechanics from from various other popular games. So there's like a conversation system like you might find in an RPG. There's a loot system in this one where you can swap out all aspects of war's gear, his armor, even his shoes, his different weapons. He's it's it's much more customizable whereas in um Dark Siders 1 there, there was none of that. You just had the stuff you had, that was it. You unlocked stuff in dungeons, but there was no more than that. Um so there are a lot a few different layers they're adding to this one. I have to say to me, they sort of don't add much to the gameplay experience beyond just convolution. It doesn't feel like it's better because of these additional mechanics where you're swapping things out and you're sort of leveling different things up in a specific way. It actually, to me, makes it marginally more tedious and gives it a, an extra level of commitment that I'm not willing to give it. Um, or yeah, So it's... I'm enjoying it a lot because they're very well-made games. The stories are entertaining. The art style is so cool. They're really out there. Very, it's difficult. They sort of, the visuals remind me of a comic book. I can't actually bring a comic book artist to mind who, who it reminds me of. But the characters are quite elongated, character caricature-like, um, very vibrant, the colours. Um, and the designs, a bit like Doom, are very, very chunky, which I love. Um, so from a visual perspective, I really like it. From a story perspective, it's fine. From a gameplay perspective, it more or less does the same thing as Darksiders 1 with a few superfluous flourishes that I'm not really on board with. But if you like Darksiders 1, maybe got it for free and are thinking, oh, I've seen Darksiders 2 for cheap. It's it's not a worse game. It's just sort of more of what you'd expect. And I'm I'm enjoying it. And a lot of sort of Prince of Persia-esque platforming as well, which you don't see much of these days. Like the wall There's, running um, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, a lot of wall running. Yeah, so it sort of harkens back to that generation of games, sort of PS2 platformy hack and slashers. Again, you, you see less and less of them. So, yeah, from that, it, it's nice. And it, it's a bit of a change of pace from the other stuff I'm playing. So, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Um, so I'll leave it there then on uh, on Darksiders 2. And we'll leave the show there because that's the end of our dessert. Um, so... Thank you, Katie, for joining me. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. It's been a good one. I've enjoyed it. Sorry that it's going to be coming out a day later than usual. Hopefully, we'll be back on schedule next week. Um, if you want to find the podcast, we can be found at theconsumedpodcast.podbean.com. Um, Katie, is there anything else you'd like to plug? Um, n- not anything huge. I mean, all our details are cool. still on the, the podcast page. I'm going to try and get back on Twitch this week. Uh Two weeks ago, our internet got knocked out by weather. Last week, you know, had a breakdown. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Existential crisis. Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll plan to get back into it. I got to finish. I still have to finish uh, Harry Potter for Game Boy, so. 
cool. Um, oh yeah, with um, Twitch streaming, I've I've changed up our schedule a little bit. We're still doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday with Harry. Same schedule as usual. But now I've started streaming Tomb Raider on those off days when I'm not streaming with Harry and I'm trying to do it in a more traditional setup with you no know, webcam and the chat and stuff. So um, yeah, feel free to join any of those streams. I stream every day now at 8 p.m. Um, and I'll also say, if you'd like to send us any questions, anything you've been playing, um, you can send it to the consumed podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know what you've been playing in quarantine. We're more than happy to read that sort of thing out and uh yeah it'll add add to the show so yeah are you happy to leave it there katie that's all i've got i hope you're full awesome i am very full thank you and we will catch you all next time stay safe we'll see you later bye (laughs) 